You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 416. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 416. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hey, hey, y'all. Amy here, and I am thrilled to be rounding out the completion of our mini series on believing in ourselves and all of the different iterations of that. This week, we're going to be doing a tool episode. So on tool episodes, I like to introduce you all to some sort of tactic or modality that maybe we don't have as much familiarity with or Maybe it's not quite as mainstream in the personal development space, things like hypnosis or astrology or in this week's case, the Enneagram. I am so thrilled to share with you this interview that I did with Sarah Jane Case, who is a trained Enneagram teacher. She has written a book that is phenomenal. I highly encourage you to get your hands on it. It's called The Honest Enneagram. You can also find that in the show notes or the show description on whatever device or platform you're listening on. She also hosts a podcast of her own that I have been on, which was so much fun. And it is called the Enneagram and Coffee Podcast. And what she really specializes in is helping people find the balance between self-care, you know, nourishing ourselves, resting, recharging, and productivity. Those of us who want to check things off our list and be very productive. How do we balance those two things? So she teaches a lot about that. And so what we need to do in that case is oftentimes release a lot of shame and actually feel confident about how we choose to spend our time. So that's really her wheelhouse. She has an online community called the Brave Collective that focuses primarily on that concept, the balance between self-care and productivity. And she also is a speaker, does corporate trainings, writes personal essays, and just is all around a beam of light in this world. So I cannot wait to share this with you all. One thing that I did want to mention before we jump in, you may want to cruise over to her website and do a quick rundown of the quiz that she has on there. It's very short. You can find that over at enneagramandcoffee.com. That's also in the show notes if you want to click over and get sort of an understanding of where you might fall so that when you're listening to this episode, you can hear yourself in some of the various scenarios and things that she presents and it will offer you so much insight. Definitely have a pen and paper handy because she talks about a lot of things that I think will be helpful for you all. But one of the crossovers that we've discussed a lot, both Sarah Jane and myself, are these certain behavioral patterns that we all start to employ, usually at an early age, people pleasing, trying to control things, trying to be perfect, or some of the lesser known ones that we don't discuss as much on the show of feeling like you always have to be happy. You always have to put on sort of that sunshine, bright, shiny spirit 
persona in order to make sure everybody else is taken care of. Or maybe you've done that through being the strong one. So God forbid you have a breakdown. God forbid you show some vulnerability because so much of your identity is wrapped up in this strength. So I think no matter where you fall on the Enneagram, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. But it got me really thinking about some of these behaviors that we all attach to. The two that we talk about a lot on this show are people-pleasing and perfectionism. And I wanted to offer out to any of you who are listening or who listen to this episode and hear a lot of yourself reflected in those two behavioral patterns. That is my wheelhouse. And that is absolutely something that we can change. So if you have gotten to that place where you're like, okay, I understand why maybe I tried to take care of everybody else in my life, but I'm fucking done with that. It is not working. It's infringing on my relationships. I'm not able to have intimacy the way that I would like. I don't feel like I can be truly authentically myself, or I have such a tight grip on perfectionism that it has locked me into stagnation. I just procrastinate on everything because nothing's perfect enough. Or I don't feel like I'm the right size, like I'm not thin enough. So I'm not perfect. So I cannot go meet up with people who I haven't seen for a few years. All of these things are indicative of how we actually feel about ourselves. If that is you, and you are going, holy shit, this is not helping anymore. It is actually impeding my growth. It's impeding the things that I want in my life. Please go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. Have a watch through that masterclass that I've put together for you. It chronicles the work that I do in my Deep Down and Dirty program, and it will give you a really solid synopsis of maybe why some of the things that you've been trying maybe even like listening to a shit ton of podcasts, hasn't actually been creating the change that you want. And I talk a lot about the difference between our subconscious faculty of the mind versus the conscious faculty of the mind and how that influences creating sustained change. So if you really genuinely want to believe in your core that you are enough already as is, as messy as you are, as perfectionistic, as people-pleasing as you are, Please go have a watch through that workshop. It's completely complimentary. And then at the very end, if you're interested in learning more about Deep Down and Dirty and you're ready to really create some lasting and sustainable change, you'll see an opportunity to book a call with a member of my team and have a call with somebody on my team. They will walk you through what's going on with your life and give you a little bit more clarity. And then you can make the decision if you're ready to invest and jump headfirst into deep down and dirty to really solidly, concretely change some of these patterns that are just no longer working for you. Again, that link will be in the show notes or simply go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. That's your place to start. So without further ado, let's jump in and look at how self-belief might be impacted by learning about the Enneagram with Sarah Jane Case. Sarah Jane, how are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I am thrilled to have you on the show. And I thought it would be kind of fun to give a little nod to your show, your podcast that's extremely popular, where you start off each episode doing a rose, a bud, and a thorn, which as I understand it, it's it's kind of things that you're super excited about, things that are kind of budding or growing or slightly in the future, and then a thorn, something that's a little bit prickly or, or sticky in your life. So, so why don't we 
start with that. So I think that's so fun and it feels fun to be on the other end. (laughs) I, so my rose right now is that I'm working on a second book and I'm really excited about it. Yay. Oh, that's great. And it's kind of the book of my dreams. It's like Enneagram paired with poetry and essays and like, write And like writing to the heart of each type. So very much, very, very excited about it. Um, which is also probably my bud is that like this quarter is mainly focused on just writing that book. And that feels like such a luxury. And it's also my thorn. (laughs) Okay. It's also my thorn because there's a lot of, um, letting go that has to happen to make time. And a lot of, you know, the, the idea that we have like a limit to how much joy we're allowed to experience, like a kind of internalized limit. And I'm coming up against mine, like, oh, this is how much good you're allowed to have. And I'm trying to allow myself more than that, but Ooh, it is hard. (laughs) Have you uh, on a, on a slight tangent, have you ever read the book, the big leap? by Gay Mm -mm. Hendricks. You might want to check that out. There's some stuff that I think is uh, a a bit antiquated from a privilege perspective, but there's some really great nuggets around that exact concept of of how, how big of a game can we play? How uh, good can we stand it? basically to feel. Mm -hmm. So you might check it out. There's some, there's some really good nuggets in that of just how we, we kind of go, okay, I've reached my limit. Okay. Squishing, squishing it down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for me, Rose, Bud and Thorn. Okay. Rose for sure. I am beside myself excited because we're decorating for Halloween tomorrow. And when I tell you, we don't fuck around, we do not (laughs) fuck around. So we, we are trying to be the house. You know what I'm talking about? Like the house on the block Mm -hmm. that. Yes. So Uh last year they told us some people were like, oh my gosh, you're going to be the house. And we were like, ah, freaking out. So we have all these animatronics. We have about three or four animatronics that we bought last year that we've never used before. So we, we're like getty excited about oh my gosh about Halloween because every November 1st we do our Halloween haul we hit a it's like doorbusters we get to spirit Halloween before it ever opens and we like go get <laughs> we, we set a budget it's nuts it's crazy uh my bud is I'm I'm in a huge transition period with my work and so I'm focusing a lot more on speaking and so that's taking a lot of dedicated focus but I'm very much in a growth phase with that so that's exciting and my thorn is probably just the sheer amount of overwhelm that I have around fall plans. We have so many people coming to visit. My husband's turning 50. So we're doing a big 50th birthday party. There's just, and I'm kind of like, I'm excited about all of it, but I'm also like, holy shit. How is it all going to come together? So Mm -hmm. those are my rosebud and thorn. You remind me. So there's this house in our, where we go trick or treating and they always give out jello shots. And I feel like you would definitely be the jello shot house. (laughs) That's brilliant. It is. It's absolutely brilliant. Oh my God. My, my, I don't want to create too much dead air, but I was just <laughs> stop and thinking like, holy shit, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I cannot wait to tell Mr. Smith about that. Okay. So let's talk about Enneagram. 
for, for people who've heard it as kind of just a buzzword or, oh, that's the latest hippie thing to get involved in, you know, talk to us about what it exactly is and how it was kind of formulated or created and then how you came to that work. Mm-hmm. So the Enneagram is essentially a system that breaks us, breaks kind of human psyche into nine dist- distinct personality types. Each type has a basic fear, basic motivation. And I like to think of it as like, this is who you thought you had to be your whole life. So for some people, they thought they had to be perfect. For some, they thought they had to be successful. For others, they thought they had to be significant. I thought I had to be happy. And because of that, we kind of protect ourselves using that mechanism, right? So like each nine type is actually just a coping mechanism. And so the work with the Enneagram is this invitation to release that mechanism and to allow yourself to be loved and seen and accepted for who you are underneath all of that. So what it, is it related at all to like your birth year or a- anything like that? Or is it more like answer these questions, Myers-Briggs style? Yeah, I would compare it more to like the Myers-Briggs than like astrology. Okay. Uh, the main difference is that Myers-Briggs is like, here's what you do. And the Enneagram's all about why you do it. So we can all exhibit an array of behaviors, but the Enneagram's like, let's explore why you're choosing to make that, take that behavior, why you're choosing to do that. When was it created or what was the origin of it? It's muddy. Like some people say it starts with like the Sufi tradition, like way back in the day, the most recent teachers we have are Claudio Naranjo and, um, Oscar Chazo and Claudio Naranjo kind of made it popular in the sixties. Um, but Really, it's just an evolution of the work of this man called George Gurdjieff, who says he got it in Afghanistan way back in the day. So um, basically, I don't know. <laughs> and we kind of know. It's like Gurdjieff, Oscar Chazo, and Claudio Naranjo are kind of our most recent teachers. Got it. And it's evolved. So do you find a huge distinction between how you interpret Enneagram and how you work with people versus what some other experts or authorities might, might work with people on? For sure. I would say there are some areas that different schools of thought really kind of latch on to different ways of thinking about it. So, um, there, you might hear language used in one school that isn't used in another, Um, There's this thing called wings where you have your dominant type and then you can pull from characteristics of another type. Some schools of thought are going to say you lean into one wing all the time. And um, I'm of the belief that you can access both wings um, at any time, but you typically kind of lean into one or the other. So there's some, yeah, there's just like any tool, uh, there's different ways that people think about it or approach it. And uh, I think we just find the one that resonates to us. And I'm kind of, I I'm kind of the person in the world who's like, let's pull all of the ideas together and you get to decide what works for you because this is your growth journey. And I don't, so I'm not a big, like right and wrong, good or bad. That's right. uh, When it comes to the Enneagram. That's how I feel a lot about dream analysis and dream interpretation. It's, it's all a part of your own psyche and Mm -hmm. same is true for our behavioral patterns or our coping mechanisms. It's up to us, whatever, learning we want to extract from it, right? Like it's perspective. We could choose to stay so focused on our shortcomings or we could go, okay, here are my opportunities. 
So I love that. That's so very fascinating. So how did you actually get into it? So I found it just like a lot of people do, uh, or a friend of mine probably heard me talking in my type pattern and was like, Hey, have you heard of the Enneagram? And I, at the time though, I was doing burnout prevention recovery and coaching. And I realized like through learning the Enneagram, I was like, wow, we can get way deeper, way faster if I use this tool because we're, I've been working so hard on your symptoms. Okay. Like let's work less. Let's figure out, let's moderate your behavior. Um, and then the Enneagram's like, also let's go into why this is happening. You know, Mm -hmm. are you trying to please people? Are you trying to still Are you trying to succeed at all costs? Are you so used to pushing your body past its limits that you don't even listen to it anymore? Mm -hmm. Um, so the Enneagram is like, Hey, here are the nine reasons why this could be happening. <laughs> and I was able to get much deeper with my clients and through that just became absolutely obsessed and worked towards the, just talking about the tool itself. So I, what I had the great fortune to be on your show a while ago. And I remember you talking about how Enneagram quizzes are not all created equal. And I of course wanted to be an informed guest coming to the show and do my due diligence. So I ended up doing a quiz that you highly advocated. uh, And I'm pretty sure I was a four on that. And that's what it kind of points to most of the time when I, when I take the various quizzes, but talk to us a little bit about that, because Mm -hmm. I think anytime something hits kind of the mainstream and I've had clients ask me about it too, where they're like, well, I'm a three, so this, or we do it in attachment styles in relationships. Like, well, I'm an anxious attachment style. So I do that, you know, and where we Mm. kind of can pigeonhole ourselves in, in sort of this label. So what do you think is the, the best source to actually get a clear picture of what you might be? And then where does that intersect with your own insight of, I identify as a four or as an eight or what have you like yeah, so, personal agency, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I would say definitely if you take a quiz and I think quizzes, you know, they're a good starting point. Like we take the quiz, it's going to give you usually like your top one or two answers. Um, so you take the quiz and then really still you're, you're typing yourself because where the Enneagram gets confusing. And if you were someone out there who was like, tried the Enneagram, you took a quiz and you're like, I don't get it. You have not typed correctly. Like once you like read your type, you're, uh, it's like so vulnerable and so uncomfortable that you feel like someone has followed you around and documented your life. And so when you take the quiz and you, you get your first couple of answers, your top responses, go read the descriptions of those. I have descriptions at sarahjanecase.com. Read the descriptions and then the ones that you read, you know, whichever one you feel the most exposed by, that's the one. And mm. the cool thing about this, like when it comes to, I think uh, attachment styles is the perfect way to compare the way we interact with the Enneagram because the goal isn't to be your number or to like be the most of your number. Mm. The goal really is to like honor the strengths that that number brings and the, um, you know, the fact that it, like these coping mechanisms have gotten you to this point safely. So like thank them, but also we're invited to be more than that. So my goal, I'm an avoidant, 
my goal as an avoidant is not to like be avoidant. My goal is to work through and be able to be healthy in this. So that's the same thing with the Enneagram. The goal isn't to be like the most of your number. The goal is to be a healthy version of your number and to, um, find the ways that it limits your access to love from yourself and from others and, um, create a safe place for yourself to land. So it's almost like an invitation for compassion for yourself. Uh, Yeah. And for others. Yeah. Both. Mm -hmm. So I think about that a lot. A lot of the times the clients that I work with, and I know I've shared this with you before are so heavy on either the perfectionist lens or the Mm -hmm. people pleasing lens, which are complete coping mechanisms. And Mm -hmm that really did serve them. That probably kept them safe in their first family, family of Mm -hmm. origin. And then I see this a lot. I'm not sure if you see this as well, but where people get to some sort of a breaking point, sometimes it's early in their twenties, but can be much later in life, 50s, 60s, 70s, where they kind of go, oh, this coping mechanism is doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like Enneagram gives you so much more of a perspective of, oh, here's why I did that. And then here's how I can really be vigilant about, does that behavior serve me in every single instance? Mm-hmm. Or do I get to kind of move the pieces around a little bit? Exactly. It's like, here are your strengths, but when those strengths are overused and when those strengths are used at the wrong time, they sometimes cause harm to yourself and to others, or they just aren't supportive. They're not supporting you. And also they're still good. That's still good that you have these strengths. And sometimes when used too much or gone too far or used in the wrong timing, it's not, it's not ideal. So do you find that you have to reiterate that statement over and over and over again with people who are almost militantly attached to their number? I would say so. I would say that, but also here's the thing. I think anytime we get really into any area of expertise, right? Like we become really focused on something. It's tempting to want to control the journey of others. I want people to experience the Enneagram the way that I experienced or how I think they Mm. should do it. Or I see it with like astrology all the time. People like, well, that's not real astrology or that's how you should do it. And the truth is like my practice is just being like, well, maybe it's, maybe that's your journey right now. And as your teacher and like, as someone who's talking about the Enneagram, I will continue to remind you that you're being invited into more and that there's like, you know, I kind of think of it like our Enneagram type is this shell that we've put around ourselves to protect the innocent part of ourselves, right? The, like if I overachieve, then no one can hurt me. So we protect that part of ourselves. And, and I, the, the tricky thing is like, yes, maybe it's preventing you from getting hurt sometimes, but it's also preventing you from being loved for who you truly are in the deepest parts of your being, because you're being loved for this persona that you've put on. And so I will continue forever to invite people to be loved more, right. To be able to open up those gates and be loved more. However, if you're not ready, you're not ready. Like I, I will always let people have their process because yeah, it's not mine to control, but I, I kind of would like to, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm thinking about the books, uh, on death and dying and on, on grief and grieving by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler. And I remember how they said 
very definitively, this is a just a general guide of having five steps to dealing with grief. It is by no means to be set in stone. It doesn't mean you have to go through each and every stage or you didn't grieve properly. But in the grief world, it everyone went... <laughs> And attached to it and said, there's five sets of steps to grief. It has to be, you know, has to go like this. If you have, you're doing it wrong, blah, blah, blah. And so I wonder if that, you know, I just was kind of thinking that might be applicable to, to you too, where you keep going, hey, it's Enneagram and, and your interpretation and your other life experiences. And you get to call the shots. You get to decide when you capitalize on your strengths and when you are bothered by your weaknesses or not bothered by your weakness. You know, I, I just think sometimes when we have categorical Mm -hmm. methodologies, how people get kind of stuck in, nope, it's, it's on this step and I am this number and these are my wings and I don't ever have that, you know? Yeah, it is. And it's like, it becomes almost like a religion you know, like these things, like, and so many of us have like exited religion and learned how to not be driven by that. And then we just kind of find another way to put that into place. And I think it's like a seeking of certainty. Like we're hoping we can just have something that we can rely on something that we can count on something just like, okay, if I can just close my eyes and get through this. And if I follow the directions then I will get to the destination. And the truth is like self-growth is not like that, right? Like self-growth and grief, like these are things we cannot control. They have a process. They're going to unfold. And every single person is going to be different and everybody's timing is going to be different. And my attempt to control my own growth, my attempt to control your growth or someone else's growth, isn't going to matter because it's still just going to unfold as it unfolds. I wish more people in the personal development space would talk about this because I think there is, well, on one hand, I'm excited that so many people are like hashtag living their best life and like learning about agency and choice and standing up for themselves and all of these things. But I do see, I do see this other side of personal development, which is learn these things and you'll be fixed. Mm-hmm. It's As good marketing. It is, of course, because nobody said, you know, the the truth about it is it's learn these things and you will have different coping skills or you'll mm-hmm. have a new, I, I always call it a management system, a new way to manage mm-hmm. life from a more empowering place, place but you're not, mm-hmm. you're not broken, but being broken is what we, what sells. I mean, look at church, Mm -hmm. right? A majority of faiths are based on you are innately flawed, at at least the Abrahamic Christian religions, and Mm -hmm. you aren't whole on your Mm -hmm. own free will. Like you need saving, you Mm -hmm. (laughs) literally need saving. So I can absolutely see that parallel too, in, Mm -hmm. in personal development where we kind of go, oh, Enneagram is the answer or attachment styles Mm -hmm. is the answer. Coaching is the answer. And it's like, no, no, no. They're all a different skill set to help you manage life Mm -hmm. from a place of power. Yeah. Yes. And so many of us, those of us who are addicted to achieving, right? Like we're going to find a way to make self-care and self-growth a goal-oriented thing that has a destination (laughs) and it doesn't. And there's no gold star. It's just healing. You're just, you're just healing and you're allowing more love and you're gentle. You're becoming more gentle on yourself. And when we 
achieve at self-care or self-growth, we actually kind of undermine its ability to heal us because it's like, well, all of a sudden yoga is like a thing I have to check off my to-do list when it was supposed to be a chance for me to connect with my breath. Before we go too much further, I wanted to take a quick moment to give a shout out to our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Shocker, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I have a personal motto that if you think you don't need therapy, you probably need therapy. Because without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is genuinely hard. The good news is therapy actually really does work. But what is it exactly? Well, it can truly be whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling super motivated right now. Hello, who among us, right? And maybe you want some tools to help or maybe you're feeling insecure in your relationships or in your workplace or maybe you're just not dealing with stress very well. Whatever it is that you need, it is time to stop being so ashamed of normal human struggles. It's time that you feel better because you deserve to be genuinely happy. And now you don't really have to worry about finding an in-person therapist that's near you or in your town because BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to even see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people, y'all, it's been over 2 million people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. As I mentioned, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Joy Junkie Show podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash thejoyjunkie. That is betterhelp.com slash thejoy junkie. Now let's jump back into the show. So, okay, coming back to the quizzes, do you have, do you still advocate the same quiz that you had before or has that shifted or? Yeah. So since we did ours, I have an Enneagram quiz on my website now. Cool. Yeah. So you can check that out Enneagram and coffee. And the way that I recommend you do it again is just get the first three results. Um, Don't take your top result as your definite answer. Look at the first three, read each description, and then you'll see, you know, you'll identify which one you are. I think, so I just did that prior to jumping on with you. And I believe it said that I was, I was equal for three of them. Totally equal. I think it was four five and six, maybe, or three, four and five. I can't remember. I had always thought that I was kind of a four, but I love this idea of reading through and what, what calls your ass out. I love that. Like what calls you out and you go, ah, I feel, <laughs> yeah. I feel seen. And and so remind me what you are. Oh, I'm a seven. And I think sevens and fours for my experience are the two that oftentimes don't mind getting their number. Almost everyone else feels a little like, oh man, that's a lot. But fours, I think have spent most of their life feeling misunderstood. And so finally this thing that understands them is like so intimate. It feels really good. Um, and then for sevens, we're our initial, we're positive thinking type. So like when we read a description of ourselves, we see the positive part first and we kind of ignore the negative. And then we have to go in and be like, oh, there's like a lot of stuff here we have to work on. They're not just telling me like, oh, look at me. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's also, I mean, that's definitely a glass is half full perspective. I can 
I can certainly appreciate that. That's awesome. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about wings. So wings are sort of the analogous numbers, you know, to your number, right? So talk a little bit about what, how those influence us. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that people get confused about a little bit with wings is they think that your top three results are your type and then your wing. Um, but it's actually just the numbers that are next to you on the symbol. So a two can only be a wing one or a wing three, just for anyone listening. That being said, it's my belief that you kind of need both of the wings on either side of you. Hmm. So, if we think about type nine, type nine is the peacemaker. They're mellow. They're easygoing. They have a hard time knowing what they need, voicing their opinion. And on either side of them are eight and one, which are the two most strong opinionated black and white thinking like right and wrong, good and bad. Like, yes, this is, this is who I am. This is what I believe on either side. So when you as a nine can access that power, that innate internal belief that you, you know, what is best for you. You know what you need, you know, what the world needs that you can balance out that natural tendency to kind of push your opinions down. Um, so that's how I think about it, but we tend to have one that we lean into, uh, more than another. So it's almost like, okay, I'm blue. Like let's say seven's blue and eight is yellow. Then like, I'm like a shade of green, right? So like as a seven with an eight wing, I'm both positive and outgoing and, um, optimistic, but I'm balanced that with strength and power and sometimes pushing myself too far. Um, whereas a six wing is going to balance that with thinking things through being more stable, um, being more community oriented. Do you typically associate with, did you say one of the wings more than the other? Most of us do. Yeah. Some people have balanced wings. Some people feel like they don't access either of their wings at all, but most people feel like, oh, I can see a strong wing. That is so fascinating. I, I want to, I want to dig into this a little bit more. It, is it something to even appropriate to ask of if you could give us a rundown of what each of the nine are? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, so we have type one is the perfectionist. Um, they are focused on being good. They fear being evil or corrupt. And then we have type two, the helper who's focused on being loved and being liked. They fear being unlovable. We have type three, the achiever who their focus is on achieving and success and appearing successful. They fear being worthless. Type four is the um, individualist, or I like the romantic. Their focus is on finding and expressing their significance. And they have a fear of not being significant. We have type five, which is the investigator. Their focus is on managing their energy levels, being informed, being competent and capable, and they fear being incapable. Type six is the loyal skeptic, and their focus is on finding support and security. Um, They value safety and security. They fear being unsupported. And then type seven is the enthusiast. They value being um, not being trapped in emotional pain. So their fear is being trapped in emotional pain, and they value like freedom and and satisfaction. And then we have type eight, which is the challenger. They don't want to be controlled. Their fears of being controlled. Um, and their kind of worldview is like the world is a hard place and it's my, I have to be strong. Hmm. 
type nine is the peacemaker and their fear is loss of connection and their motivation is on kind of their own internal peace of mind. Wow. Is it common that you would, one would have, like, I see myself in all of those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some more strongly than others, of course, but. Well, there's so many connecting points. So we have the wings and then we have two lines that move to and from our number that one is a line of stress. So that's what we look like when we are stressed out. One is a line of rest, which is what we look like when we feel safe, when we feel relaxed, that rest line, the belief is that, um, as a kid, this was you, you were, and as you grew up, as you got older, you built your persona to protect that version of yourself. So as a seven, as a kid, we would say I was a type five and I wanted to just manage my energy levels. I wanted to go off, do my own thing. I wanted to learn, but I learned that that wasn't okay. And that I had to be everyone's sunshine. I had to be like Mm. the light in the room. And so I learned how to do that in order to hide myself. Um, and then I moved to one in stress, which is like become more critical, more judgmental, more perfectionistic. And, um, so in that way, we think about the wings, that's two, we have our dominant type, and then we have the lines that we go to in stress and rest. That's five numbers that we're connected to already. Mm. And so that's a lot that covers a lot of ground. And then we have some similarities and groupings like three, seven, and eight are all assertive types. So they're all tend to be future oriented, assertive, um, action oriented. It's likely that three, sevens and eights can feel a camaraderie with each other and things like that. There's lots of connecting points. Do you dig into these connection points of who we are in rest and stress in your book? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think it's, it's my absolute favorite part of the Enneagram. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about the the way that I, that makes so much sense. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. such a novice at this, so I, I don't, I'm not nearly as astute. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I really turn into kind of a different person in a restful stage or in a stressful stage. So, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. spot on. Yeah. And it's so helpful to know, you know, as a seven, I typically am very extroverted. Um, not that all sevens are extroverted, but I, I tend to be like very lots of social connections, but when I feel really safe and I feel really grounded, I actually kind of keep to myself and manage my energy levels significant amount. I lower what's on my to-do list and that could look like depression or isolation if you don't have the language to explain it or to understand it. So the Enneagram gave me the language to say to my husband, like, oh no, this is good for me. (laughs) Like this is actually very, this means I feel safe at ease. And, and so I think a lot of times, and for me with stress, it gave me the indicator. Oh, like if I, all of a sudden start to really obsess about way the way the fridge looks inside or how organized it is, then like something's up, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of intense about this. That is, that is exactly me that I can get so uprooted. I I've learned how to really let that go uh, largely through different, you know, coaching tactics, but yeah, where I will find that something like the way the dishwasher is being organized makes me want to come unglued. And I'm (laughs) like, that's, that doesn't matter. So uh, oftentimes I'll refer to it as the surface issue and the root issue. Like the surface Mm -hmm. issue is the 
dishwasher not being loaded pro- correctly. The root issue is whatever's really going on with me. I'm o- overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. It's not really about the damn chores. So that, that's fascinating. So, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier about how the Enneagram is who you thought you had to be in order to earn good things or to kind of be okay to be worthy. And I know we're, we've been talking a lot lately on the show about believing in ourselves and mm-hmm. possibly looking at the Enneagram as a tool to help us believe in self a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit more about what each type or maybe a peppering of the types believe that they need to be in order to be worthy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll kind of phrase it as like a invitation. So okay. if you think about type one, right, you believe that you have to be above reproach. You can't get caught doing something wrong. You can't get caught off guard. You can't get caught falling short. And so that's how you often interact with yourself, right? Is like this belief that, oh, if I, I can't fall short. So I have to constantly be doing, I have to constantly be on top of things. Um, so the invitation is, what if you were imperfect? What if you were a little messy? What if you let yourself just not do the best that you could possibly do? How would that feel to play play in that place? For type two, they believe they have to be likable. And so oftentimes they will be flattering to people or they will over-sacrifice or they'll kind of do what they need to do. They'll kind of put themselves under the bus in order for someone else's needs to be taken care of. And so the invitation is just, if you think However, you feel like other people should treat you. What if you treated yourself that way and let yourself have the love that you're hoping other people will give to you. Mm. And then type threes, they, they feel like they have to be successful. So the invitation is like, what, how can you let people see you and love you in your darkest, most messed up place? The places where you feel like you would like to hide that part of yourself, the cluttered closet, <laughs> the, the lie you told when you were seven, whatever you need to share to yeah. be loved for the depth of who you are type fours believe they have to be significant. And, and what that can look like is, is not just significant, but I would say special. Oh, I can't be average. Like there's this absolute rejection of average in themselves, (laughs) which is, (laughs) and the hard thing is to do anything great. You have to get to, you have to go through average, right? Like that's the journey. That's the road. And so you're never going to go from like being terrible at something to being great. You, and no one's born great. We have to learn. We have to trudge through the average to get to great. You know, for fours, the invitation is, can you love yourself in the mundane and the trivial and the things that feel like plebe work, you know, like going yeah. to the mailbox, um, going to the post office, whatever type fives, they believe that they have to be informed and that they have to be, they're constantly managing their energies level. So they have to protect themselves and take care of themselves and make their needs really small. Um, like the idea is like the world is invasive. So if I can make my needs as small as possible, then I won't need anyone else and no one will ever need me. And I can just get through unscathed. And so the invitation is like, what if you let people love you and take Mm. care of you? What if you take care of someone else? What if you can be more than just kind of shrinking yourself so that you don't have to need anything? Our type six, like they feel like they have to be safe. They have to be secure. They have to be prepared. And so the invitation is like, what if you're allowed to take risks? What if you're allowed to do things even when you're uncertain? And, um, what if you can trust yourself? What if you could truly trust yourself and that like your instincts aren't bad, 
that you actually will make good choices for yourself and for others. That one, that's, <laughs> I need to take a that's breath a with that one. one. Cause I, I'm going, holy shit. I really resonate with that. Cause I, I am so risk averse and, mm-hmm. and that leads to, I think what you were talking about too, with the fours, not wanting to go through average that, I mean, mm-hmm that really is difficult for me. And so I tend to go stay where, stay where you are, stay with what, you know, also hating being average (laughs) by not moving forward. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's tough. I'm going to have to sit with that one too. Mm -hmm. Our type sevens, we believe we have to be happy. Mm -hmm. And so the invitation is, can you be loved in your darkness? Can you let people see you and love you even when you're not okay? In type eight is they believe they have to be strong and um, that the invitation is, can you be loved in your weakness? Can you let people see you in your weakness? Can you love yourself at your weakest? And then type nine, the peacemaker, they feel like they have to be easy to get along with. So they mellow out their opinions. They mellow out their personalities to kind of blend in with the group. And the invitation is like, what if you got angry at people? What if you let people get angry at you? And then you saw that they're not going anywhere. Like they get mad at you and like they stay and that mm-hmm. you're loved both by, you don't abandon yourself and others won't abandon you just because you have a, a full expression of who you are. And, you know, so my, my counter on that would be, I've seen a lot of people who once they started reckoning with their people pleasing tendencies, sort of like a nine that there are a lot of people in their mm-hmm. life who doesn't, who do not like the strong version of them. They don't like, yeah. And, and then they do have a lot of pushback or people who go, I don't know if I'm up for this empowered version of you. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I'm actually really glad you said that because twos and nines both always, when I say, let give people a chance to not leave. Cause I shouldn't say they don't leave because some, some do, but is that, it's kind of like good marketing, right? Like if you're speaking to everybody, you're speaking to nobody. And if you really, the real people, the ones that you want, and as people pleasers, like, of course, you're going to attract people who benefit from that. You're going to attract a lot of people who benefit from that. And if they don't like you in your most bold form, they never really knew you. They right. didn't know you. They knew the persona that you were showing them that made them comfortable. But like, um, I had a two in my life. I, I, this, this is to the point I had a two in my life. She would say like, every time I get on a plane, the person on the plane next to me needs to tell me their whole life story needs to talk to me. And she was flying like every day for work. She's speaker. She was constantly on planes and she was like, I need to sleep. I need to work. I, that is not how I need to spend my time. But I feel like I can't put that boundary up. I feel like I can't say, Hey, I don't want you to spend time with me. I don't want you to talk to me. And what we came to is like, well, if you, if they're mad at you because you have put a boundary up, then what they're saying is I want you to look at my, take value my needs over your own. Exactly. And therefore they're selfish because the fear here is that you're selfish, right? Like I'm so selfish if I put a boundary up or if I tell people who I really am. Um, But actually they're being really selfish if they don't want you to be the truth of who you are. If they're not comfortable with you being yourself or setting boundaries, those were never your people. Those were people who liked a shell of you. Completely. I have a I have a colleague, uh, Brooke Castillo, who always says people pleasers are fucking liars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's to your point of who they liked was the inauthentic version of you. It's like 
eating ice cream and expecting it to feel like drinking a green juice. It's like, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get full, but you're going to get a stomach ache. And like, not that we can't eat ice cream. There's nothing wrong with ice cream. Um, I'm not trying to food shame, but like just the sensation of like, I'm trying to fill something here, but we're not getting the real nutrients. We're not getting like the love that we're actually craving. We're getting like a false layer of affection that actually isn't satisfying. And then you have sort of this dichotomy of the angst of having to keep up the people pleasing behavior Mm -hmm. and paired with, you don't really know who I am. You don't really love who I am. And it's, it, Mm -hmm. it all kind of comes to a head. I think for people at various parts of their life when they're just like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't Mm -hmm. keep going on with it. And I, I have found, I'm curious what your perspective is with working with people that the more bolstered they are in their own belief in themselves and, and truly just their own self-worth. I always say their bullshit tolerance gets really low where Mm -hmm. they, they're like, okay, if you don't like it, sorry, but I'm proud of me. (laughs) Do you find that? Absolutely. And for both twos and nines, especially I say like, you need to spend time alone, enjoying yourself and being like, like being in pleasure by yourself, like go have coffee alone, go watch a movie alone, go out to eat alone, do things out of your house by yourself where you can really get to know yourself, get to know what you like, what you enjoy. Um, and then also you know, encourage yourself, give yourself the love that you're craving from other people. And then that is like the higher you raise the bar of like how well you're treating yourself, how much time you're actually capable of spending alone, then your ability to tolerate bullshit is so low. It's like, I actually, I don't talk to myself like that. And you're not allowed to talk to me like that either. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating to watch when people start go, it's almost like they start seeing other people's behavior through a different lens and they go, Oh, wait a minute. No, I don't deserve that. Oh Mm -hmm. no. And, and I really believe that now, as we've been talking about this whole concept of self-belief, is there something that Enneagram can help people with along that same vein, like ways in which really concretely and under understanding where they are on the Enneagram can help them actually step into self-belief and what does that look like? Most of us, and and obviously people who are listening to your podcast have tasted much deeper work than this, but most of us, we think like self-confidence is just thinking we're cool, like thinking (laughs) that we're good and being like, I am awesome. And if I believe I'm awesome, then I'm worthy of good things. And, and that kind of leads us to these like band-aids that we put on of like affirmation. And like, I'm like looking in the mirror and I'm like, I am beautiful. I am strong. And like, that's helpful if you really believe it. But when you're just kind of saying the words and you're trying to fix it with kind of pasting on confidence and like belief in yourself, it starts to feel like you're wearing someone else's clothes. Like you're like putting on a shirt that doesn't fit right. And you're like, I, I want to feel like this feels good on me, but it doesn't. And my belief is that we do that because we're not willing to look at our shadow. Mm -hmm. We're not willing to go underneath and be like, where am I falling short? Like, where am I actually kind of fucked up and Mm -hmm. like not doing the right thing? And can I love myself there? Because if I can love myself there where like, I'm kind of my worst 
if, if I can pour love into that place, well, it's easy to like my strengths, right? Like it's easy to, sure. to think like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm happy. Like I'm easy to, you know, I'm fun to be around versus, um, oh, sometimes I'm flaky or like I had to learn how to be stable and I had to learn how to be a healthy person in a relationship because I was always out the door. Like, mm. well, I can still love myself even though I've made those mistakes. Right. Like, and so I say all that to say that like, it is a balance of like, honor your strengths, respect your strengths, but also like true confidence, true, like stability in your like relationship to who you are, I believe comes from like liking the fact that you're a little bit fucked up. That's so curious. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, which is going to dovetail so perfectly into my next question for you, but I'm reminded of our relationship, let's say with, with children. I know you're a parent. Mm -hmm your child can do the most fucked up behavior, right? They can like take crayons to the walls or I don't know, whatever, whatever kids do <laughs> that, I, that I don't deal with because I don't have them. She says snarkily, you don't stop loving them, right? Like in the midst of their, their chaos or their shadow or their meltdown or their public freak out or whatever it is, it's like, you don't stop you don't arrest that love. You just, it's an, and it's, I love you. And this behavior needs work. Yes. And we think about, you know, when, um, I think bell hooks in her book about love is like, talks about how love is an action, you know, it's a Mm -hmm. verb, it's not a noun. And, um, and with that, like, that's the same for our relationship to ourselves, right? Like love is a thing we do. It's not a thing we feel. So my confidence isn't going to come from the fact that like, I just feel like I'm great. It's going to come from the fact that I listen to myself. I respect myself. I validate my own feelings. Like, what do I need from a partner or what do I need from a healthy parent? It's like respect, a listening ear, mm-hmm. good questions, you know, someone to be curious about me, someone who tells me they like me, um, someone who is supportive when I'm down. That's what I have to be offering myself. That's how we love ourselves. And through that love, we create a sense of safety where we're allowed to be more honest about our darkness. And then through that, which the Enneagram so lovingly reveals to us. (laughs) And then we're able to say, Oh, actually I'm okay. Yes. Like that's true. And I'm still good. I saw a quote that you had written that I think is so perfect to kind of encapsulate what we're talking about here. And I think it may have even been regarding a four, but you said, what if we traded in our constant fixing for nurturing and curiosity? And I think that that really envelops what we've been talking about with this striving to do personal development perfectly, this, I am damaged. I need to be fixed instead of looking at here's the shadow that you're hanging out with. Here's the strengths. Here are the strengths you're hanging out with. And now what, what do you want to be curious about instead of putting this big stamp of disapproval or stamp of brokenness? So tell me a little bit about what inspired that quote. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm working in the Enneagram space. I'm interacting with so many people who are constantly just trying to perfect themselves in this process, right? Like what if I am, 
what if I could just, if I just keep fixing, if I just keep chiseling away and we do it in every area, right? We think like, if I just perfect my diet, if I just did yoga every day, if I just had, um, if I were blank, then I would deserve blank. You know, if I were skinny, then I would deserve love. If I were, um, you know, if I were smarter then I would be, I would have written a book by now or whatever it is. We think like, oh, if I just keep chiseling away, if I just keep fixing, then I'll some, I'll reach the destination. And so my hope is that invitation of like, what if you're fine? Like, what if you, what if you're just okay? Like, what if you're so worthy of love right here and right now, and all of this effort that you're putting in to be perfect, to be successful, to be significant, to be happy, to be strong. Like, what if you don't have to do any of that? What, what if you could be loved without having to work that hard? And you actually can just, you're just allowed to like yourself. Wow. And like permission granted. Right. But right. it's yeah. not, we can't give you that permission. That's why it's the inner work, right? We can't control that <laughs> as much as we would like to, but it's, that's the, that's the inner work. It's like, it's an actual surrender mm-hmm. of transitioning into this work and not feeling like it has to be perfect and tidy and flawless and wrapped up with a nice bow, you know? Mm -hmm. So, oh my gosh, such good stuff. So I know we talked a little bit about the book that you have coming out, but then also the book that's already here that I know Mm -hmm. has been wildly popular. Tell everybody a little bit more about that. And then also where to find you. I know you've thrown out a couple of links, but Let's just reiterate that. And we'll, of course, put it in the show notes. Definitely check out the book, The Honest Enneagram. That's my book. And it takes you through that. Like, how do we honor our strengths? How do we open our eyes to blind spots? It goes into relationships and creation and all of these elements. And the goal is really to offer a sympathetic, compassionate voice that also invites you into practical action of how do we actually work with this? Um, So that's the book, Honest Enneagram. And the website is enneagramandcoffee.com. That's the easiest one. Podcast is Enneagram and Coffee as well, which you are on. So that'll be a really good listen. Yes. Well, Sarah, Jane, I could not be more grateful to have you here with me. And thank you just for being such a wealth of, of knowledge and such a force of good in this world. It's such an honor to be adjacent to you, truly. Thank you so much for having me. This was so good. So fun. All right. Well, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to come see you in Asheville and we'll get to have some connection in real life. But until then I will say thank you. And I will talk to you later, my friend. Thank you. I hope you all can hear from just her voice. What a beautiful, beautiful spirit this woman is in the world and her passion and way of delivery is so attractive and palatable and kind and loving. And so I hope that you go check her out at the Enneagram and it's Enneagram and Coffee. I don't want to say the because <laughs> I always say the joy junkie. Uh, Enneagramandcoffee.com or she has a huge, huge, robust following on Instagram where she is constantly releasing awesome tidbits and bonus content. So have a check on Instagram and and follow her there. And we will be jumping into a brand new series next week. I'm going to keep that private for you all, but I do so hope that you will join us. With that, I will say we will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life. 